2: Welcome into to episode 52 of The Bluest Tape. I'm Harvey Couch, alongside... Jeff Colas. And thanks for joining us as we take our weekly journey through the live catalog of widespread panic. If this is your first time joining us, uh, welcome. And if you're a return visitor, thanks for coming back. Um, Jeff, you told me not to ask you how you're doing. I'm going to assume that you're doing not well. But in the future, from now on, just let me know if that's not the case and you're actually doing well. So, um, <laughs> um, we got to Sure. Play.
3: Well, I think one of the things we do need to address is how, how well we did in our uh, NCAA so tournament well. picks. So uh, I got one. I got Villanova.
2: You did. You got uh, one for the team. One out uh, of four.
3: Michigan State played probably one of the worst games of basketball I've seen in – very a very, very long time and lot losing the Syracuse. Like they had no business I mean they should have won that game by five fifteen points based on just statistics alone, other than the fact they couldn't make anything. But um there's one thing's about I mean I don't want to turn this into uh Seth Greenberg and Jay Williams talking about college basketball. Or I don't want to sound like Dan Dockich or anything like that. But um there's something about coaches who are too clever by half. And that was one of those instances where Izzo was too clever by half in terms of who he was going to put on the floor and what he was going to have them do. And like they just putting people with no offensive talent in the middle of a zone makes no sense to me, especially after you watch like the Kansas Duke game on Sunday, which is how you do beat a zone, which is you attack it and you attack it where there's a hole and you score lots of points in there. So,
2: with players uh, that can score points. With
3: players that can score points. But overall, the tournament's been great.
2: Sure. Yeah, I know. It's been fun.
3: I mean, your team lost. I had no teams. So I was, you know, pretty ambivalent about it. But of course, me and the rest of the world have fully embraced Sister Jean and the Loyola Chicago Ramblers. Um, and, you know, when not mind Michigan win. I'm okay if Villanova wins, but not the team from Lawrence, Kansas.
2: Right. Yeah, it's been pretty entertaining, and you know the the region in um, in the South, obviously for K- for Kentucky, just opened up like you know <laughs> the Red Sea after the first weekend, and that to me was just clear that that was that meant it was not going to work, not going to happen. You know, when you start reading articles after the first weekend of people saying, you know, should Kentucky fans be you know embarrassed of a Final Four trip? <laughs> When they don't beat a good team on the way, and you're like, ah, this is it's not going well. Um, so I don't know that they took, you know, they just didn't play a very good game. And Kansas State played pretty, pretty well, but they really had no excuse to lose that game. But honestly, they probably would have lost to Loyola if they hadn't played better, you know, two days Loyola. later. So Loyola is good, man. They, yeah. those kids can play. And like with everything,
3: anything involving a team like Kentucky, Immediately, my first thought was, oh, man, there are a lot of heartbroken scalpers standing outside of that arena oh. in Atlanta <laughs> who yeah. thought they were going to make serious bank that yeah. night. When the,
2: when the blue wave came down on, on, <laughs> oh, on, on Friday. Um, oh. Yeah, th- those guys. And I think, you know, probably CBS, CBS was a little disappointed, too. But uh, it sounds like the yeah. ratings
3: have been really pretty good for I mean, they're down over last year, it sounds like. But it sounds like the ratings for Loyola have been pretty strong. I mean. I think it's just because it, it's a great story and they play it and they're, they're a fun team to watch. They play basketball. in a really, you know, interesting kind of old fashioned way. And, uh, they're a good team. Maybe they'll take it home, but Villanova looks like the team right now. So
2: It should be a fun weekend. Um, so we appreciate everybody's, uh, willingness to, to let us, uh, to indulge us in, in a little bit of a college basketball discussion. Um, We've got, uh, this is part two of our uh, widespread uh, panique, um 20th anniversary of, uh, of panic in Paris, uh, 10 nights in the Chesterfield. So we did five nights last week, uh, the first five nights, and then they took two days off and then um, played five more nights. And so we're going to cover those five nights. This week, um, we also have the the second half of my interview with Jonathan Spencer, who was there on the ground um, uh, at the Hotel de Printemps and uh, the the chest, the cafe, the Chesterfield Cafe. Um, but before we get to that, uh, Jeff, do you have anything good to share with the folks this week?
3: Yes, I'm actually going in the the way, way, way back machine for uh, my recommendation this week, which is a record probably a lot of folks who listen to this podcast have heard. But we're going to go with uh, Odyssey and Oracle, which is a record, uh, the second LP by the Zombies, came out 50 years ago this April. Um, And I have a... This is one of those records that at, uh, at a record swap years ago it was in the bill it was in the room i saw it from across the room and before i could get to it it was plucked by some mm, guy heartbreaker. And, he, and he carried it on the outside of his stack under his arm like the rest of the day or the, you know the day meaning the next half hour 45 minutes while i was there taunting me the whole time so um i've never forgotten that i could picture that guy pulling that record out and looking at it like what's this this looks interesting and putting it in his stack and i have if I knew him, I would never have forgiven him. Um, but anyway, I chose this record, one, because it's a fantastic record, but two, I am fi- almost done with my rewatch of Mad Men and the song on side B, the third song on the second side, This Will Be Our Year, features prominently in the um, final seasons of, of Mad Men. And it's a great little two-minute song um, and listen to it actually last night before bed too and it's just reminded me of how much i love that song and and this whole record so odyssey and oracle by the zombies is my pick for this week it was actually according to the wikipedia it actually was number 100 on rolling stone's 500 greatest albums of all time so you know don't take my recommendation for it take Jan winner's recommendation for it. it there you go
2: um okay so mine is uh well, so last week, um, obviously you guys have heard a little bit about, uh, the Osiris podcast network, which we're uh, a proud partner of, um, one of the, uh, the, what are we, uh, if we were part of the original group, what are you called?
3: Charter, uh, we're charter, we're char- members.
2: Char- charter members of the Osiris podcast network. And, um, so I was in uh, Washington DC last week for work, um, and, this this won't lead into political discussion, but well, maybe just a little bit. Um, it was kind of cool. This is the first time I ever did. Uh, it was a work conference, and part of it, you d- the first day was, um, you know, the panel discussions, and then a little bit of a trade show, and then the second day, you actually go onto Capitol Hill and lobby uh, your, um, you know, your legislators uh, to, you know, to talk about the industry and, you know, and things that we're trying to get done. And I'd never done that before. It was kind of cool to do that. And so I spoke to my, uh, or not specifically my senators, but, but members of their staffs, um, cause it's not a, it's not an election year for either of those guys. So they didn't have a, didn't need a picture you know, photo op, but, um uh, but, you know, met with people from Rand Paul and Mitch McConnell's office. Um, and I will say, I swear, I mean, I guess the guy at Rand Paul's office was, was out of college, but I mean, he's literally seemed like he was 16. Um, but the guy from McConnell seemed a little more, uh, a little more seasoned, a little more professional, but, um, the, the thing that here's the the grief I'm going to give to, and maybe I'm overreacting here, but, um, you know, part of the conversation, you, you know, you, you exchange business cards and, you know, you leave the meeting with, yeah, if you have any questions for, for me, you know, please reach out. If you have any questions about the industry or whatever, um, And, you know, and they say, you know, if you have stuff that you need to ask us about or talk to us about, you know, or the senator, then, you know, give us a call, shoot us an email. So you do that. And then that night I get, you know, the weekly email blast from Rand Paul's office. And I was like, I did not sign up for this. (laughs) I'm not really that interested in what, you know, Dr. Paul is doing this week on Capitol Hill, but. That seemed just a little like I, you know, I didn't think giving your card to, you know, a staff member after a discussion in in the in their office, signs you up for the email list. But apparently, it does. Rand Paul's office.
3: Um, well, that should be an interesting uh, weekly email for you um, to sort of learn what's going on. I guess last week he was um, contemplating shutting down government. About the time <laughs> you were there
2: right yeah yeah he's already as
3: as he has wanted to do did you meet andy barr
2: um i did not no didn't uh didn't have a chance to do that so um anyway uh i don't again not to digress but one of the advantages of being in washington dc that time is uh the you know the the pod father the the uh, ceo and founder of osiris podcast network rjb lives in dc so um when i when i knew that i was coming up there i reached out and you know we were gonna plan to have lunch or grab a drink or something at some point while i was there and it worked out that there was a really great uh show happening in dc um like the one night that i was free to do something and so we met up um at a place called the Hamilton, which is a really cool venue in DC. If you ever have a chance to go to see a show there, highly recommend it. It's really cool. There's like a, a main level and there's like reserved like table seating and with a couple sort of like tiers so that everybody has a view of the stage. And then there's like a standing room pit in the very front where, you know, there's like sort of GA standing room in front of everybody that's seated. But everybody that's seated is kind of raised up a little bit so they can see over. And then... And then there's, like, a second level that has more. There's, like, a drink rail and then, like, some high tops and a bar behind that. And it was just really cool. There's, like, lots of good sight lines and lots of comfortable places to be. Um, So, anyway, cool venue. And we saw a band called The Golden Gate Wingmen, um, which is sort of a side project for a bunch of guys. And um, it is uh, John Kay on guitar and vocals. Do you know him?
3: John K., uh, the guy from Steppenwolf?
2: Not Steppenwolf, uh, John um, K. from. <laughs> Just shows you. I was
3: really excited that you are going to see John. I think John K. from Steppenwolf might
2: actually be dead. <laughs> uh, no, let me, John Kay... let, let, let me quick fact check that. Yeah, please. Uh, John Kay from Dark Star Orchestra or Further or, you know, uh, Phil and Friends. Um, some people call him fake Jerry, I think, uh, which maybe not such a nice thing to do, but he's still um,
3: alive. 73 years old.
2: Good. Well, we'll, you know, maybe we'll have a chance to see him next time, but, um, John K, uh, Reed Mathis on base, um, who, uh, he was in, uh, Leaf Green, Tea Leaf Green and Jacob Fred, Jazz Odyssey. And his I think his project now is called Electric Beethoven. Um, uh, Jeff Cementi from Dead and & Company and lots of different, you know, Rat Dog and other dead things and jay lane who's also in rat dog and primus and i think further and stuff like that so it's those four guys uh and they play as the golden gate Wingman. and i think they just did a short like you know eight show tour maybe this was the first night of the tour um and it was really good i mean it was mostly dead stuff but they did some other covers and i think maybe an original or two and um they just play really well together and uh they're all such good players that you know they don't have to play a lot together to be able to play off of each other um and it was also kind of interesting to see like their approach uh is like really different from like joe russo's mstead like they really take a a more um methodical approach i mean it was really more structured a lot of the jams were kind of like structured like bluegrass even though they were more kind of slower jazz although they definitely you know got going but um it was sort of like a you know you take four and i'll take eight and then you take eight and you know everybody taking a turn which is really sort of i guess more in the bluegrass style which is really you know the original inspiration of of the dead right um so it was kind of cool seeing a different take on that, uh, just, you know, a different, uh, way to interpret that great music. So, uh, that's my long story short. I got to the end here. That's my recommendation this week is the, uh, golden gate wingman. Um, I know, uh, there's a live recording from the show that I saw up on the archive and I, and I saw, you know, like the next couple of nights were up there when I looked, you know, a few days ago. So, um, Really really enjoyed it it was a great um, a great show uh, and um, highly recommend if, if they're around check them out and uh, if you're looking for something new to check out that sort of did inspired um, check them out on the archive Golden Gate
3: Wingman uh, you I mean mine was just a simple album recommendation but you put over a band a venue uh, a style of music a, a member of Congress, a city. I mean, man, that was really good. Nice yeah.
2: job, and, and and also really enjoyed hanging out with the folks from from oh, us. And, Yeah,
3: that and and our podcast hosts too. Right?
2: Man, yeah, yeah. No, it worked out well. So, I got to uh,
3: harder. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, it's good. homework, Jeff. Come on, not
3: not good, Jeff. <clears> uh, anyway. We actually
2: we talked about some good ideas about some crossover podcasts. So uh, maybe look for some of that in the uh, in the coming months. But uh, anyway, it was good times.
3: Good. Let's talk about, let's get into the music. Let's not talk about it. Let's get into the music for this week.
2: We've got five shows to play tonight. We've got selections from each one. First thing we're going to do is play a little selection from uh, the first night of the second five nights, March 24th. Uh, And then um, we're going to go straight into the second part of my interview with Jonathan Spencer, who was there. Uh, to talk a little bit about the shows and the experience and what it was like on the ground there in paris Um, so first things first uh, march 24th 1998 uh, one set show at the chesterfield cafe in paris we'll pick things up about halfway through the set
1: So the plane went on the next day. We get there. We scramble. So the first thing after we get dropped off the hotel is I boogie down to the Chesterfield. And it's, I don't know, 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, I walk in. And sure enough, I found Mary and Natalie, the nice little helpers. And the ba- half the band is like sort of re sound checking. Apparently things didn't go well in the tiny little bar the night before, or at least they weren't happy with the stage sound. So there was, there was some, it was noodling. It wasn't like official sound check or
4: anything, mm-hmm. but
1: they were in there. I was like, Whoa, I first, my f- first appearance was that can't be the band room. That's got to be like their private little, like warm- <laughs> smaller, than, smaller than most backstages. You know? oh. <laughs> That's smaller in the backstage of the theater. And that tells you a lot, the Georgia theater. Um, so I did see these uh these uh four tables, these huge round wooden tables set up with little placard placemat cards on them, and with one, two, three, and four on them. And it was a huge sigh of relief because first thing I saw was in front of Mikey, not in front of JB. The table and the placard said Spencer on it.
0: Nice.
4: And
1: I was like, Oh, okay, oh god. But it said number two on it, like table two. I was like, I don't care. Uh, for my first thing was like, oh relief, okay, I still have my table after all that. This is good news, and then immediately my twenty-three-year-old mind was like, "Wait a second,
5: who the fuck took my table wine? <laughs> who took the table in front of Ta- table one? Um. <laughs> who the fuck stole
1: my table one?" My voice went that high when I was pissed, you know. And, uh, and I look on table one, and it says Derm- Dermashin. I, you know, I'm like oh, D- 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 Demetrian? I was like, who the hell is Demetrian? I was like, I never heard of Demetrian. Mm. Of course, rest in peace, this would be Mr. Phil Demetrian, Paris Phil, that Mm. many of your listeners, I'm sure, got to know over the last 20 years and was a very, very close friend of mine. I stayed with him and Marty at least a dozen times in Paris in the years subsequent to the Chesterfield But Mr. Phil was, you know, he was kind of a uh, man of all seasons, man about town in Paris with a lovely, lovely wife, an American in Paris. And he wrote occasionally for relics or um, various, you know, magazines. I think his last article had been like 1989 in Spin Magazine, but it didn't really matter. (laughs) He was just cool enough to get in everywhere and anywhere he went. uh, And, you know, lived in Paris and wrote about the classic rock scene and loved Panic. So if anybody was going to... uh, Get squeeze table me one, out. Everybody's right? going to squeeze me out of the number one table. It was going to be Mr. Mr. Phil Demetrian. Right. and I'm sure he said we joked about it years later. Uh, well, actually, only a couple of years later, he, he was like, he walked in for sound check on day one and was like, "Who the fuck is Spencer yeah. at my table?" <laughs> He's like, no, nah, that's my table. I'm the first Parisian to even know about Panic, and I'm a freaking writer. I get that table. So anyway, through some uh, diplomacy that I couldn't be a part of, Mr. Phil got number one table, as it should have been, and I got number two table. Then they decided on night two to the, when the massive crowd of fans, of, of fans from the South had flown over and filled the place to a – to capacity and over
2: F F the tables
1: F the tables. So all that work for about 15 minutes at table two on night two and the tables never came back. (laughs) And then it was just jam packed all the way, uh, you know as, as tight as you could be and it was so, you know everybody's just having an ecstatic time i mean we're on top of the band you couldn't you know i mean to the point of spilling beer on the monitors i mean there was no the stage lip of the lip of the stage couldn't have been more than eight inches i mean it was nothing and mm. the only thing bigger than schools on that stage it's amazing they were able to fit so many the whole band on the stage with all their equipment uh, poor Sonny's like playing like finger symbols is all he could fit on there. <laughs> like, he had like a one third of his uh, of his of his equipment up there. They're like, Sonny, you're going to have to work a little tighter tonight. We got a really tiny stage. But uh, the only thing bigger than schools on this stage. Um, this is probably my favorite Chesterfield story. Uh, was the HVAC AC unit that was right next to schools that he kept bumping into all night. It was this huge, enormous 1970s HVAC unit, which was attempting to air condition this entire restaurant with a bunch of sweaty panic fans, mm-hmm. and it was losing big time. And if anybody knows HVAC, when an HVAC unit is losing and trying to do air conditioning, it's pouring water into the pan at the bottom, the drain pan. So what does this have to do with panic? Well, you had no chance of getting to the bathrooms at the Chesterfield show. They were downstairs. Uh, the stairwell was jammed and blocked. I mean, the fire marshal, were, you know, if they would have thrown everybody out of there. So if you had any chance of holding your spot, there was no friend, hold my spot. You're going to have to come up with another plan. And I don't think I certainly wasn't clever or risky enough to do the, uh, wear a pair of depends <laughs> trick in rail ride yet. <laughs> there was no rail ride. <laughs> so, uh, what we figured out was that a bottle of Cote d'Iron, a bottle of French wine was the equivalent of like, let's see, it was eight francs. So it was like a dollar 20. <laughs> it was cheaper than Coca-Cola. Uh, the cheap, you know, the cheapest white and red wine they had by the bottle. So we would, or at least me and my people, we would drink a bottle, pass it around. And when it was empty, you would just take a piss in the bottle. And then pass it forward and pour it out in the drip pan of the HVAC unit next to schools. And we got really good at this. And so by, by the end of it, nobody spilled. Uh, nobody was mortified. And we had kind of had a system down by night four. It was drink a bottle of pee in the bottle and don't mix the two up. Right. You know, make sure that's a pee bottle.
0: Oh,
1: my God. <laughs> and uh, uh, Dave totally caught our game and saw this going down. And, you know, the pan is like a foot from his feet and it's the only it's the drain can and we're just pouring piss in it all night and then passing it back and wrapping silver foil around it to let everybody know this is the piss bottle, not the uh, not the not the wine bottle. That uh, was great. I I, uh, I still have um, my parents as they get elderly. They were removing houses recently and I was, you know, one of those going through old stuff in the loft and I found super eight millimeter, no sound black and white video that I took from the front row, which oh, I would never get out. No lie. Now, well, no, that's true. I developed it, but I've never watched it. I've never seen it. Mm. Um, I dropped it because it was hard to get super eight developed even back then. And right. you, know, you literally got, I think, six minutes on a roll uh-huh. that cost, the roll cost like 40 bucks back then. So it was not cheap. But it was, you know, it looked super badass, 1960s, early 70s, Super oh. 8 millimeter, And this was front row right in JB's face. And I think they actually told me to stop filming after, like, the second night that I did it, which would have been night three. Um, but I, I, I have three or four roles that uh, need to be processed correctly. I mean, they, they were, they've been developed. They're just on spools now that it probably need to be enhanced or something, but
2: digitized.
1: Yeah. At some point I've, I've got to get those out before the actual, I don't know. I'll get those back to the boys through somebody and see if, uh, See, see if they can't use it at new year's or something next year
2: oh man that'd be awesome yeah. uh, so like tell tell me about the space i mean obviously it's tiny right but like i mean yeah, I, I mean how many people are, is 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 in the in the music space it was, it was, a couple hundred
1: yeah i i i think you know and i'm sure there'll be panic fans that'll correct me on you know there's always somebody ready to correct you on numbers dates and you know, the analytics of what was when, but uh, you know, it was your basic setup for so many places that are like that, where you have your L shaped bar on two sides and then you have your main restaurant room to the left, which was not where they were. And then if you went, but if you went straight ahead from the front door, um, there was this kind of, you know, after the bar, so the bars in the back, so you pass the bar, so you're in the front door, then the bar. And then if you keep going, there's this little, what I would call like a side room or a banquet room, um, that had a teeny tiny stage. I mean, uh, I don't know uh, where all your fans are from, but not that much bigger than like maybe Eddie's attic in Atlanta. Uh, okay. Or uh, just a, you know, def- definitely smaller than the 40 watt in Athens. Um, yeah, I would say just a little under 300. I think they probably pushed it over 300 every night, but I think capacity mm-hmm. is probably in the 250 to 300. Yeah. Um,
2: <sighs> So what were the, what were the days like? I mean, I, did you go to the Chesterfield at three every day or did you guys do some, you know, sightseeing or did you see the band hang out with the band? I mean, what was the, what was the days like in Paris?
1: Well, yeah, they were all, the band was already in that era was already in the don't stay anywhere near the venue thing that they still do to this day. You know, they're mm-hmm. out of there. So they, I believe I remember I went there once, but they had an apartment that was, uh, you know, 10, it wasn't anywhere near there. It was 10 minutes away. If mm-hmm. believe. i remember a totally different arrondissement, but, uh, I was going to say, on the, just thinking back, on the um, uh, capacity of the place, I'll tell you who would know. And this is just something that anybody who was at the shows would remember really well, because um, we, we made a drinking game out of it. The, uh, the doorman, because everybody did have to line up to get in, um, and I was lucky, even though they took my table number two that formerly was table number one, Ah, uh, Mary and Natalie made sure that I had a plus seven and I didn't have to wait in line every day, okay. so even though they took my table, so I was able to not have to do the line, which was great yeah. um, but the doorman looked this is what everybody will remember he looked exactly like a clone of schools. <laughs> A lot of people knew. I think his name was Brian, rest in peace. Warren Haynes, guitar tech, for
2: years and years. Oh, right. Sure, yeah. Yeah, who looked exactly like Warren Haynes. Warren, right.
1: <laughs> and, and people you know, people who didn't quite know would be like, Warren! Well, right. you know, <laughs> that, I mean, people who were either too drunk to know or didn't know in the first place or too dumb to know would seriously walk up to this doorman and be like, Dave! <laughs> so we started this little, I call it a dive bar, but they don't really... You know everything chic and fancy in France, so they don't call it a dive bar. It would be a dive cafe, I guess. I don't know. It was was right across the street, on the same street um, as the Chesterfield, but where we could see everybody in the afternoon, and we'd be, you know, having charcuterie and tapas, and and you know having drinks right across the street. And we'd watch everybody line up and we made a drinking game out of every person that ran up to the French doorman <laughs> and thought he was school. So every time they'd happen, we'd have to we'd be like, all right, drink. school's So when the shows would end every night, um, we had, you know, 16 rooms worth of people that on mass, we would all in ecstasy and glory and a haze of happiness. We'd all march together back to the hotel du Printemps, the 15 to 20 minutes stumble back to the hotel du printemps after the show and everybody singing and hugging and walking through the street and just like the best of times there i remember some uh, steve bohannon was a part of that i was trying to remember some names and faces uh some who've not with us any longer tepesh uh, mizra and uh karen and um uh, bunch of folks so we're all, all on on mass going back to the hotel duper and tom and a number of people no names to be named number of people uh uh let, let's say had peed their pants at some point during the night or maybe they'd been peed on by somebody like me who missed the bottle or you know, or they were just really sweaty and sweat glands smell like pee after a really and panic show uh and uh about halfway back to the hotel duprenton in the middle of the street there was this huge grate in the rue in the road that led down to the subway and when the every 3 or 4 minutes when the subway would the pressure of the air would come blasting up through the grate and would give you a free blow dry of your pants <laughs> and the, the ladies in their tube tops could do Marilyn Monroe style and Pretend like they didn't know that we were seeing everything, but you know, everybody's all sweaty and gross at that point, anyway. So we would all be standing on this grate, and it was like after the third or fourth night, it became, it became something. It was discovered accidentally on night two, but after that, it became something everybody looked forward to. The we're all going to go to the grate and get aired off before we walk back into the
2: hotel. What was the uh, what was the ratio of the crowd, like whether it was French versus you know Americans? Oh, I
1: I would say there were, I would say there were a handful of French people (laughs) that were either there accidentally Uh or uh, the venue decided that they, or people that worked at the venue were so, you know, flabbergasted. Oh my God, what is going on here? We've never seen that people party or drink like this. Or, you know, they ran out of bourbon on night two and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I mean, a bunch of pros show up and just kill it. And uh, so if anything, I, I I met the only French people I would meet after show, if you bothered to stick around or during set break, um, were were either friends or lovers of people who work there. So mm. I got the feeling that you couldn't get in, that it was, you know, uh, that, that it was capacity. I mean, I, I would think it was 95% or more Americans.
4: Mm. The and, job,
1: uh, at three o'clock, sure, no problem. There are all kinds of tourists. Right sweden eating hamburgers and and a bunch of freaks eating hamburgers and telling everybody what they missed the night before
2: <laughs> do you have any like memories from like i mean musically of anything that sort of sticks out in your mind from the 10 nights or is it just pretty blurry <laughs>
1: <laughs> um well let's see uh I, think
2: I, I mean you know you don't have to recite the set list but you know i mean is there did you have a moment or you know like oh they played whatever I, it was
1: i remember just you know kind of uh, th- those those kind of magical moments of pinching yourself, of holy shit, oh my god, is this really happening? Are we here? Just uh, a yeah, mm-hmm. just, just uh, a lot of pinch yourselves, outer body experience kind of moments. And um, uh, uh, the other thing I remember about those days in general, but especially the Chesterfield, I think my hand was red every night from the amount of people high fiving me. It's just, it was it was high five. <laughs> Nineteen ninety eight was high five. Everyone was high-fiving each other constantly. Mm-hmm. Your hand was like purple. Uh, now, this is wild. the show's oh, going sure, on. Yeah. High-five, high-five,
2: high-five. It's pretty amazing <laughs> yeah, yeah. when you go back to uh, listening, because uh, I've been sort of going back to listen to some of the tapes of the shows, and it's just like you can hear, because it's so yeah. small, you can hear the folks talking, and it's just like, and then you hear reactions when the certain songs start or whatever, and then I think, I don't remember what night it was, but there's a um, – there's a going out West dream song encore, I think. And it's like, the going out West is so rowdy. I mean, just like you can just, everybody's singing every, every line. And then dream song starts and you hear, shh, 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 shh. and it was like, it was pretty, It was pretty awesome. I mean, you still hear people like drunk people talking, but like generally the volume of the crowd goes down. So got it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, the, the dudes all get fired up for everybody gets fired up for going out West, but the dudes speak Yeah, the audience. Was the dudes speak on going out west and then the gals have their say uh, <laughs> with, the, with the lovely what would you say was a vacation was
2: uh, it was dream song dream song okay yeah yeah, exactly. yeah, uh, yeah. so um what, did you come then come back to were you in athens for the panic in the streets thing I was. a couple weeks later okay i
1: was i i actually spent 36 hours spitting a whole pig on washington street in front of the boar's head and slept in my white bronco too uh nice. catnaps um are i i had I formerly hosted open mic night uh at this barbecue place on baxter called wishbones that burned to the ground that i didn't do but somebody did it was a great place we had you know, string cheese there and just all kinds of all kinds of great memories larry keel and colonel bruce all the time and david blackman and um, it was it was a good like bluegrass classic rock kind of hybrid joint. Um, and so anyway, that had burned down recently before, uh, the gig, uh, before painted light, light fuse, get away, "Panic in the streets. And, um, so yeah, I took a kind of in memory of wish Ben's, I took a pig and, and, and spit it in the street. Nice. Um, I think I had to sell that Bronco um, a couple a week later because uh, I think somebody peed sleeping in there. I really had a pee problem. <laughs> really. Seems to be. A, I got over that. Apparently, I had a pee problem. Seems to be
2: a recurring theme here. Um, <laughs> I, think
1: I had to go to Salvation. I had to go to Goodwill and Salvation Army and replace a lot of friends' couches. <laughs> you know, there's only, there's only so many flip the cushion times you can do before your buddy gives you the look like. No flip the cushion this time, Jonah. No. <laughs> New couch time, buddy. New couch.
2: <laughs> so um, so you're now in, in L.A. doing doing the, the acting thing. When did you leave Georgia to, to go out west?
1: Yeah, I, I moved to Los Angeles in 2003. Okay. Um, and it took me a couple of years to get going out there. I, I, I worked um, under a pseudonym at a talent agency and did not act at all for a couple of years um, just to kind of – See how the the wheels moved, and you know the wizard. I was gonna say the wizard behind the sleeve, but that's not the right. the wizard behind the screen, right? See how all the bells and whistles work behind the screen, and um, and which was great because that made me not intimidated by anything of the industry and kind of know how it worked before I battled it as an actor two years later. Um, and I had a lot of success in commercials pretty quickly. Um, I had like four Super Bowl commercials in 2006, and um, I was the Hertz guy for a long time and I was the Dairy Queen clown. And for while, and then I finally got in, um, sitcom television. I got on, um, Gilmore girls for the last two seasons was my first job. Um, cop salad, no avocado, no tomato, Italian dressing on the side. I can still remember your first line on TV. <laughs> it's just not a
2: cop salad. <laughs> I mean. Looking at your IMDb, I mean, it's really pretty impressive. Like the the titles, I mean, CSI, Gilmore Girls, Mad Men, My Name Is Earl, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, True Blood, Um, yeah. Desperate Housewives, Shameless. I mean, that's pretty. That's a pretty impressive run, man.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. You know, it took a while, and I, you know, you don't you don't mention the 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 thirty five you didn't get for everyone you did get. <laughs> Actually, it's it's really like a job interview. on audition is. And uh, if you're booking one out of thirty-five, you're doing really, really well. But it's kind of the only job in the world where if you went on thirty-four job interviews and you got told no thirty-four times in a row, you'd probably switch careers.
4: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> one out of thirty-five, and the IRS actually considers it a job interview too, which is helpful. But if you, um, if you, if you book one out of thirty-five in Los Angeles you're doing phenomenally well you're doing great and um yeah yeah so I was you know I'm really proud of even the smallest even customer number four it may seem like nothing but you know I busted my ass 34 other times to get that customer number four um and once you stick around uh, long enough um people you know the gatekeepers start to remember you not for uh your titles necessarily but for your auditions in general like it it may not have worked out for you that role but you you left an impression with the with the gatekeepers the casting directors and i found some real loyalty in comedy tv um and um, just the whole Judd Apatow world, uh, Pineapple Express was a big kind of game changer for me. Um, mm. I've got the first couple of scenes in the movie, The Black and White, with uh, Bill. It's me and Bill Hader in a flashback scene, and you can Google it.
2: <laughs> anyway. it's, it's pretty it's pretty fantastic. If you yeah, don't recall, uh, definitely right. check it out.
1: So that, honestly, that led to Always Sunny in Philly, and um, uh, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride brought me back for Vice Principals. It's all the same kind of team that's a little clubby in the right way. Um, so I've been I've been very uh, very very fortunate to have that. I've actually been a, away from L.A. for a, a little bit. Uh, I'm personally recovering from a spinal cord injury right now, so I'm um, I'm staying with my parents in Sandy Springs in Atlanta, Georgia. But uh, the prognosis mm-hmm. is really good on that. Um, and I should be back in Los Angeles, uh, this fall if everything goes great. I put it this way: uh, five weeks ago, I took my first steps and uh now i'm walking without a walker so things are things are moving they're moving along it's just uh nerve damage takes some time and you, you never know exactly how much time but um it's been great it's been it's been a good like forced reflection point in uh, my early 40s you know? sure yeah <laughs> yeah but i am excited it'll be like this it, it'll be like chapter two going back to la it won't be you know la moves so fast uh it's never the same you know None of the restaurants are there. None of your friends, they all left, you know, everybody. It's one of those towns that three months is three years. And the people that are left, uh, never, they never remembered that you left. They go, like, oh, Spencer, where you been? I'm seeing a while, <laughs> but they're thinking like a couple of months, not a few years. So, right. um, yeah, it's been nice to be back in the South for a little bit. Um, you know, loving and leaving and all those trials of life, but I'm, I'm excited to, to get back to where I'm supposed to be and, get back on the, on the Hollywood scene this fall.
2: Awesome. Well, um, I really appreciate your time. Is is there anything, anything you wanted uh, to share that we didn't, I feel like we, you did a lot of sharing. I I feel
1: sorry sorry for the I gave you so much uh, time. You've got to spend chopping this down now, but hopefully you got some good stories in there. I'm just looking at my sticky notes to see if there's anything spectacular that I miss. Um. um,
2: what did, did you do the two days uh, in between the, the five, you know, it was like they did five nights, two nights off, and then five nights. So what did you do the two days between That shows? is an
1: excellent question, and I'll let the very educated <laughs> listeners fill in the blanks for the part that I won't mention because the real information is what I don't say. Let me say that, that uh. we ate for two days straight, and that's not just okay. because I was a foodie. That's because we hadn't had food in five days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there were calories that needed to be made up for uh on those two days off
2: well hey man i really appreciate your time and um you know hopefully we'll uh it's 20 years it's hard to believe right i mean it Um, seems like it wasn't that long ago yeah
1: it's just a pinch i i always try to keep starting a rumor that they're going back yeah right get some steam behind it and make it you know self-fulfilling prophecy here but um i uh the, the bar's not called the chesterfield anymore but it's still there if uh, you know if if john wants to go do a solo acoustic show <laughs> let's do it
2: it seems like they uh i mean they're kind of prime for it right i mean they did i think they did three runs they did the, the spring 98 and then they went back in f- in like late summer 98 and then they did a uh, like a summer or guess, fall was, 99 yeah
1: i did um, all of those. yeah and there. then
2: and then they were supposed to go was it in, in 01 late or yeah i think it was in like fall of 01 that they canceled it, it was like right after 911 maybe and then yeah. And then Mikey got sick, and yeah. obviously, right before Mikey uh, got sick, they we are talking about going back. That's exactly right. Mr. Uh, Phil had, but their time—it's mean, time to get back out there, you know. Exactly,
1: it's, and you know, there seems to—they're—they're they're, they're playing at—they're playing at their peak, but you know, they—they—they they need to make things different for their own sake to keep themselves happy mm-hmm. and interested. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe it's time to go spend some money again.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be in touch when that happens. So. Um, uh, <laughs> well, best of luck. I uh, hope you hope you you know your recovery goes well, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you in, uh, on a show uh, on your local you know on, on TV near you soon.
1: You got it, man. Thanks, Harvey. Good luck to you as well. And uh, yeah, I'll be when I'm selling hotel rooms. That means it's happening.
3: Hi, <laughs> <laughs> right, cheers, man. Thanks, Jonathan. Night number six from the Chesterfield Cafe, March twenty fourth, nineteen ninety eight. Uh, just before Jones, gimme, and then impossible. A uh, really nice jam uh, out of Impossible into drums. Um, the post-drums from this show is, is pretty good, too. Gilded Splinter's Tallboy, Roberta, No Sugar. Um, but it's it sort of this, – this show, I think, is is it's. Well, – always wondered what they did with their two days off because this show is, is – I wouldn't say it's a l- – didn't say they fell down into the valley or anything like that but it's definitely not as strong as the five that preceded it i think the first i think overall the first five are better than the last five um but harvey always gets the best picks (laughs) um but when we do when we split things up like this so um, that's just how it works um, but anyway we'll uh, charge headlong into shows seven and eight uh, March 25th and 26th and we'll get it started um, middle of a um, single set show on the 25th with driving time <laughs>
2: Quelle folie ici au Chesterfield Café Le White Esprit Panic. tout le monde danse, tout le monde est en transe. C'est carrément l'explosion, l'explosion sur scène, mais dans la salle aussi, car tout le monde est avec le sourire en train de danser, les t-shirts sont très humides, et c'est une grande éclate J'espère que vous, c'est la même chose chez vous, que vous êtes en transe en écoutant ce concert en direct du Chesterfield Café sur WFM. le White Esprit
0: Panic.
3: All right. The March 25th and March 26th, 1998 from Chesterfield in Paris, France shows seven and eight from the 10 night run from some 20 years ago. Uh, on the 25th, we played driving song into Arlene, into driving song and into Greta. And from the next night on the 26th, we played Diner into Space Wrangler and then the jam into drums. And both these shows are really strong. Uh, 25th Especially love the segment that we played, but also love the post drums, the Pilgrim's One Kind Favor, Chili Water. Um, it's also the song, uh, the show with the most repeats um, from the tour. Um, they played only two songs um, that night that they hadn't played at all on that um, for, for, for this run, One Kind Favor and Sleepy Monkey, the rest of the stuff they had played um, at that point already. Um, and then the 26th, love the Contentment Worry Opener um mm-hmm. uh and which are the first times that they had played those sh- uh those songs at that sh- uh during this run first time they played them since uh the january 2nd show 98 um the rock post drums uh, if we didn't have such a strong aversion to putting drums into the bluest tape um the rock is <laughs> to put the drums in because it's really good um and again it's just sort of the thing about these shows and I kind of talked about it last week too is that it's just that it's 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 taping and it's going to a show and it's taping a show in a bar and that's really what it is. And the tapes don't sound that great. Um, and you can hear everything, but it's just some, there's moments in all of these tapes or all of these, um, that it's just, it's very, you're very present there. Like you can feel, you feel like you're part of it. Um, cause you can, cause you can hear everything going on. It's not like listening to a soundboard where you're very detached mm-hmm. from everything. It's sort of, you know, that's you're, the, you're, in, you're in the you're
2: in the
3: yeah, basically. exactly. And that's one of the reasons why I love I've started to really love dead audience tapes from the 70s, mm-hmm. um, because some of them are so good with just basic equipment. Um, but like where they were, where they were in the show, where they were placed in the show, you know, typically on the floor, you know, pretty stealth for the most part. Um I mean, you just, you you feel the swell of emotion that everybody else is feeling while you're listening to the music. It's very cool. And that's the way this is too. That's one of the things I love about these tapes is is, is that feel. They don't sound the greatest, but you know what? You're, you feel like you're there. It's very, it's a yeah. cool experience.
2: Yeah. No. Cause you hear like people talk, you know, like and they're not like disrespectfully talking but like you can just hear, it's just like being in a show when you hear somebody like yelling over like do you need anything for the bar <laughs> exactly stuff like that it's a show and, in a bar it's like it's widespread right. panic but you're still in a
3: bar so yeah. of course you gonna do that
2: and um you know and i think you really get a lot of like there's way more sort of sing-along type stuff yeah. you know and it's like clearly like it is the you know super super fans you know you're not many just like locals that are like oh you know what's going on here uh like you you know like you might get like in a you know cedar Rapids show or a you know milwaukee show it's like you get folks that are just around but it's like these are these are the diehards um and it was cool to to hear jonathan talk about you know sort of what that was like being there and the and the other people and really how everybody was just sort of in it together um but uh to the music. Oh, and also what I also wanted to mention as you talked about the uh, the uh, the recordings and the audience tapes. And um, I talked to uh, Nate Fisher on Twitter a few days ago, and he's going to come on hopefully sometime soon and give us some like FOBE war stories. Nice. And he's like, man, the, like the stories FOB. <laughs> so, which if you don't know, it's like front of board. So like, you know, generally there's a taper section at a show and that's like right behind the soundboard and that's where you're supposed to tape. But you know, the real warriors go up front and, uh, and fly it, fly their mics FOB. And, and the tapes usually sound, you know, a little bit better, but you also, there's, you know, it's a whole different ball game up there. So, um, th- I'm looking forward to, to doing that. Um, But anyway, so to the music of these shows, um, the Arlene from this March 25th show is so good. And and it kind of goes to, like you said, that there's a bunch of repeats, at least, you know, from like the first five nights in that show on the 25th. And, and the setlist is really, I mean, it's really good. I mean, it's all, there's really not much like, there are no throwaway songs, but, um, you know, it's not necessarily a set list that you'd be like, oh, my God, that's unbelievable. But um, this whole run is just like the playing is so good. You know, it's not like, oh, it's not like a lot of shows. You'll look at the set list and you're like, OK, that's the sweet spot. You know what I mean? Like, that's clearly where, the, you know, the best part of the show. <laughs> and that I don't think is the case in these pair of shows. Like, it's really kind of just you don't you have to listen to them to find uh the oh, they're not really diamonds in the rough they're just like sort of the shining moments you know um and definitely in this show the driving arlene driving uh is is really really super good and then the same thing um the next night with the uh the uh contentment worry opener but then this diner um wrangler jam into um into drums. I listened to this. I mean, I, I listened to this all like so much over the last few weeks. Um, but I listened to th- that segment specifically last night. And um, I don't, they were, they were doing some, there were some themes in that jam. Like it almost sounded like dark star a little bit, but I don't, I don't know that it really qualified as a dark star jam, but it really sounded a lot like the Wrangler intro jam that they do sometimes where especially it was mostly schools um, kind of, you know, playing the, the um, you know the staircase of the chords like up and down like the, the Wrangler chords, um, but they were kind of like jamming on that theme, out of Wrangler into drums. Uh, that is really um, it's like peak Panic to me for sure.
3: I love. Um, I'm not saying that it's not there, but the Dark Star like dead dead teases and at Panic shows are the thing that I think most fans can sort of talk themselves into. <laughs> right you know it's like it's it might be there like schools does one thing and it's like oh my god it's
0: dark star <laughs> it's,
3: no it's not it's just, he's just playing some stuff but anyway I, I've uh, I mean I've been there man totally right it's, it's just, yeah, like every every time they play in
2: parsons you're like maybe it's gonna be another one in the middle maybe <laughs>
3: yeah
2: exactly this yeah. time this, this time this, they're gonna bust out This one
3: up. time they're finally gonna do it so all right well let's go on to the the last two shows shows nine and ten from the chesterfield round of 1998 um and let's get started on the 27th just before drums right in the middle of the one set show with stop go final two nights of the chesterfield cafe run of 1998 march 27th stop go into junior into party at your mama's house and then the final night march 28th uh right uh, sort of in the middle of the set way to the world into dear mr fantasy and we'll start i'll start on the 28th and go back to the 27th um we've talked about it off and on but this way to the world dear mr fantasy is great um i think it might be the only time where i would have chosen a way to the world over a four cornered room chili pigeons chili <laughs> um, but it is is really good and the dear mr fantasy is great and again just being in that room like this is people are clearly digging it um the 27th is interesting because you talked about sort of like finding the sweet spot in different you know for, you can always find the sweet spot in two set shows right a lot mm-hmm. of times Sometimes it's misleading, but a lot of times you can. Um, this one is sort of like, has the, the makings of a, has elements of a, of a first set and elements of a second set in it. Because mm-hmm. it has Glory, Wondering, Help Me Somebody, Disco, Hatfield. Like that could easily, you could pull that out and stick that in as the first five songs of a set. Right. Um, um, and then Stop, Go, Junior, Party at Your Mama's House. That's probably, that's second set fodder for the most part um, yeah but that could
2: be mid first set too it though it
3: could be a short stop go though a short mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: um and a shorter junior um right. don't be don't be denied post drums that's a. I mean obviously it's a second set thing because of drums but also it's a great it's a good place for a don't be denied and then walk in love tractor walk in love tractor is a great it's an encore it's a first it's a first set closer and mm-hmm. here it's, it's a one set closer, so kind of different elements, um, you know, pulling together, and then a, you know a really strong encore with obviously Henry Parsons and and, Travel and Light.
2: Yeah, I really um I dig both these shows. the uh, The part of your mama ha- Mama's house is cool. It it um it was uh it was interesting. I mentioned it last week. I think was it during the encore. Uh It was the fifth night, so like the the last night of the first stand the going out west dream song encore where um the going out west is like so super rowdy and then when dream song comes on you can literally hear people shushing (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of cool to hear that again here like you hear the people shushing each other during the party at your mama's house um and then yeah the way to the world fantasy from the 10th night is um i mean dare I say massive way to the world. I don't know that I've, there's ever, <laughs> I don't know that there's ever been a way to the world, like with a, with a jam like that, you know, like, uh, I mean, there are a handful of other songs that have those occasionally, you know, obviously airplane has it, you know, exclusively, but walk in or wondering sometimes, or, um, uh, you know there are a handful of songs that, that get paired with jams like that, but I don't know that I'd ever heard a way to the world, uh, like that before, and uh, and just a scorching fantasy, too.
3: Well, it's a pretty organic one, too. It's not like you talked about walking, sometimes they'll play a song like walking, which doesn't have a jam out of it, and we'll like stop the song and then like jam after that. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's a pretty organic, she has a feel, yeah, time. it goes into Do Mr. Fantasy. It's, yeah, it's really good. It's Both these shows are good.
2: Finish they finish strong for sure. And, uh, strong. and nice, nice, nice encore to send everybody home with the uh, the city of dreams after the tenth night. That's right. Um. And you got to wonder how many people still standing after ten nights <laughs> <laughs> uh, at, the, at the Chesterfield. And did did anybody then get on a train and ride to Amsterdam? Because God love you if you did. <laughs> uh, that was a hell of a show on uh, on March thirtieth. After that. And, in Amsterdam show
3: up for a last dance opener and a, and a sweet, and a sweet leaf. Sweet leaf.
2: Yep. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So this was, this was really fun. I know that you had said that you hadn't really spent a whole lot of time with this 10 night run. And, uh, and I had listened, definitely had, you know, listened to him a few times, but hadn't really dug in as much as I had, uh, the last, you know, month or so as we got to be prepared for these shows. So, um, it was cool to have, uh, to have this excuse and and really it is like i feel like it was a unique moment in in the history of the band maybe not quite as um as important as like sit and ski but uh but i think it definitely is a a, a big developmental milestone for them um you know just to sort of get back down down to the roots and the and the bar and you know and do some experimenting
3: yeah and go on vacation while you do it right so sure uh, yeah good shows i mean i think i said to you before i've listened to them too much now so and uh for the 15th anniversary we can run it back and choose different stuff um but uh but yeah good shows overall and i think if again if you if y'all have the time spend some time with the amsterdam hamburg and uh, London shows from the next the, the last three they do before they go home we already played that massive diner from April 3rd but um, that show in uh, Amsterdam on the 30th is pretty special too so. mm-hmm. good stuff overseas in early 1998 yep. absolutely
2: for sure so um, alright cool well we appreciate everybody's joining us um, like we mentioned before uh, you know, definitely check out the uh, OsirisPod.com um Lots of really great podcasts over there. And, um, we appreciate if anybody came from there to here. Um, hope that you, uh, stick around. Definitely subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. Um, you know, if you like it, rate it. And, um, that helps other people find it. Uh, and bluestape.com. Um, uh, get on Facebook and Twitter. And, um, love hearing, hearing feedback and talking to folks, uh, have gotten some pretty good ideas, uh, you know, uh, from folks on there about future shows. So, um, appreciate any of that feedback that you can provide. And, um, yeah, so, uh, looking forward to, uh, to some warmer weather and, uh, you know, hope everybody has great plans for, for the spring and summer and, um, We'll be here uh, as we record this uh, Jeff. I know we just did our 50th, you know, 50th episode. Uh, my wife reminded me today that today, March 28th um, is, was, is the one year anniversary of our, our very first episode being released. So, um, so 50, this is, as this is the 52 52nd episode we record uh, on the one year anniversary of our very first episode. So, you know, pretty cool. We have a, haven't taken much time off and i and i we i think we gave it props on the very first week and i think i'll give it to her again and i don't know that that i'd be able to do this without uh the support of my dear loving wife to allow me to do this (laughs) uh, (laughs) take this time out of our very busy day very busy lives to uh you know to chat about panic and um you know it makes it makes it a little bit easier
3: you do all the hard work so i'll thank your wife too harvey so thanks rachel for, uh, for 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 let, letting you do this, my my wife just thinks it's great that I spent some time alone in my closet for a while. So. <laughs> but anyway, um, let's send everybody out with a song. We don't really have any covers this week, so I think we'll play the song I talked about during my you know journey through the past I didn't live through. Um, we'll play this will be this will be our year by the Zombies.
5: Your love's like the warmth from the sun And this will be our year Took a long time to come Don't let go of my hand Now the darkness has gone This will be our year Took a long time to come And I won't forget The way you helped me up when I was done And I won't forget The way you said Dad, I love you You gave me faith to go on Now we're there, and we've only just begun This will be our year, took a long time to come The one of your smile, smile for me, little one And this will be our year, took a long time You don't have to worry, all your worry days are gone And this will be our year, took a long time to come And I won't forget the way you helped me up when I was down And I won't forget the way you said, darling I love you You gave me faith to go on, now we're there And we've only just begun This will be our year, took a long time to come This will be all year Took a long time to come